0: This podcast is brought to you by Green and Black's Velvet Edition, a delicious range of sumptuously smooth dark chocolate. You're listening to The Irish Times Women's Podcast. I'm Rosheen Ingle. My guest today is Lucy Caldwell, who, following her own brilliant short story collection, Multitudes, has guest edited Being Various, the sixth volume of Faber's long running series of new Irish short stories, continuing on with the great work started by the late David Marcus and subsequent guest editors Kevin Barry, Deirdre Madden and Joseph O'Connor. Contributors to this latest collection include stories by excellent Irish writers like Sally Rooney, Emer McBride, Kit DeWall, Lisa McInerney and Kevin Barry. Lucy spends most of her time in London these days, so I was delighted to get her into the Women's Podcast studio where she was on a recent trip to Dublin lately to launch Being Various. Lucy, thank you very much for coming in. It's a really brilliant collection. It's so diverse. Tell me about when you were putting it together, what your aspirations were for it, because as you say in the intro, there's just an explosion of Irish writing at the moment.
1: Thank you for having me. I love the series of these anthologies, which were first started by David Marcus. And in fact, my own editor at Faber—the first acquisition he made when he became an editor at Faber—was to buy the first anthology by Davis, David Marcus in the series. And so I had those anthologies on my bookshelves um, before I was a writer, before I considered myself an Irish writer. And subsequent guest editors have been Joseph O'Connor, Kevin Barry, Deirdre Madden, and. Faber said to me, they were looking for the next editor, for the next volume. It comes out every three or four years. And they said to me, what would what would I do? Would I have a vision for it? How would I go about it? And I said to them, I thought about it and I said, I'd really like to capture something of the energy of contemporary Irish writing at the moment because it feels like we are really in a golden age, you know, across so many forms, across genre. And I decided that I wanted to David Marcus's guiding principles, the first thing that he thought is that you should have established and lauded names alongside completely brand new. He loved the energy that you get when you do that. So that was my first guiding principle. The second was I decided to focus on writers who've published since the Good Friday Agreement. Uh, And I made this decision two years ago and the Good Friday Agreement was even less celebrated and imperiled than than it is now. But I thought Growing up in the north, that changed everything. Um, I was a couple of years too young to vote for it at the time, but even so, I remember. I remember the feeling in the air around that time, and I think that for the whole of the north, the whole of Northern Ireland, but for my generation in particular, it changed everything. It suddenly that sense of possibility. You know, you could be both, and you could be both a British passport holder and an Irish passport holder. That sort of sense of psychological freedom was really important, and so I think I wanted to look at if you come from the north, you quite often get left off lists of Irish not yeah. not, not so much now, yeah, but you know historically, um, you're quite often left off lists of Irish writers. And and Martin Doyle here has been brilliant. Yeah, you know he's really championed a lot of Northern writers. But when I started writing, that wasn't always the case. And so I wanted to focus on I wanted to look at use the Good Friday Agreement as my sort of starting point. And then the other thing that I wanted to do was, I think that too often um, new is a sort of lazy synonym for young. And I don't think that new writers are necessarily young writers. So I was really keen that I have writers in here who are just beginning to write and publish, um, like David Hayden and Wendy Erskine, um, who incidentally was my sixth form English teacher. Oh, that's (laughs) nice. Yeah, she's brilliant, brilliant. And uh, she gave me her own volume of Sylvia Plath, collected Sylvia Plath when I was about 16 when she thought I needed it. I mean, you know, what what more can you you ask for in your English teacher? So Her brilliant first collection was published last year. And so I had a story from her. I have a, there's a beautiful story by a writer called Sheila Purdy, um, who is almost 70 and it's only her second ever published story. So I really wanted to have um, that mix, I suppose. So as I started to put together my wish lists of writers, that was, sort of where it was coming from. Um, I wanted as well to, I think too often in, I'm doing sort of quote marks here, like literary (laughs) anthologies, you don't get young adult fiction represented. Right. Um, And that's where we're having some really interesting discussions about bodily autonomy and, and, um, you know, gender issues. Um, sexuality. And I also thought it was really, really important to have crime writing represented. So it
0: is so, like I said, diverse. You've got the crime writing, you've got the young adult, you've got you've got some really familiar names like Sally Rooney and yes. Louise O'Neill and yes. Kit DeWall. And then you've got alongside, I love the fact that this new writing can be from someone Who's nearly seventy? You know, it is the thing we think. We think everyone starts at twenty-one or starts at twenty-five or yeah. thirty, and it's just not the case. A lot of Especially people come to writing. A yes, yeah. exactly. The title of the collection is "Being Various," which is very close to your heart because actually your Twitter handle is that. But it's also from a really beautiful uh, Louis McNeese poem. That's I wondered right. would you would you read it for us? So yeah, that my pleasure. Can it,
1: this is one of my favourite poems. Um, McNeese is one of my favourite writers, and I've come back to his work again and again. And the lines that, well, me on Twitter and the anthology are both (laughs) called after are one of the closest things that I have to an article of faith, I imagine. (laughs) So this poem is Snow. The room was suddenly rich, and the great bay window was spawning snow and pink roses against it. Soundlessly collateral and incompatible. World is suddener than we fancy it world is crazier and more of it than we think, incorrigibly plural. I peel and portion a tangerine and spit the pips and feel the drunkenness of things being various. And the fire flames with a bubbling sound, for world is more spiteful and gay than one supposes. On the tongue, on the eyes, on the ears, in the palms of one's hands, there is more than glass between the snow and the huge roses.
0: Lovely. Um, it was great that you got to use that as your title. It's a beautiful cover as well. Um, I mentioned some of the more well-known names. So, was it important to get like the likes of Sally Rooney, who's kind of having such a moment and has been for the last few years? Did, did you really want to have that to to make the collection be what you wanted? It to
1: be? Yes, I, I mean a collection, an anthology of of contemporary Irish writing. You need to have Kevin Barry in it. You know, you need to have yeah. Eamon McBride. Yeah. All of these writers who, you know, someone like Kevin Barry, it's Hard to imagine now, but his debut collection back in 2006, I think, um, I think that sort of blew the Irish short story open. It blew it so much. It released so much energy that I think a lot of writers have been responding to since then. And, um, you know, the importance of writers who've come through the stinging fly, that can't be underestimated. And writers like Ema McBride, um, Sally Rooney and Lisa McInerney and all of those sort of real heavyweights, it was really important to me to have them... In the anthology. Is it like,
0: um, are they all like your little, I know you're a mother, but are they like your little babies in, in the book that you're kind of, you can't choose between them? And if someone says, what are your favourites? Is that a bad question to ask?
1: Well, <laughs> you, I love all of the stories. Do you know what was funny is um, I there were a lot, a lot of the writers that I'd never met and I met quite a lot of them for the first time yesterday. And I did have a feeling of sort of maternal pride standing there with all of these, you know, that, that feeling of all these people, because normally you write a book and there are so many people involved in the publishing um, you know, side of it and whatever. But but suddenly having all these writers there felt yeah, felt very special. But I have each of the stories, I was commissioning the writers, not the stories. Oh, okay. So I had no, the other rule, the final rule that David Marcus had is all the work has to be brand new. Ah, so I right. wasn't choosing stories that were already published. So were I these stories written the for the book? Yeah, they okay. were. And the only guidelines I gave the writers w- were that the work had to be brand new and unpublished and that they, there was a, a, an upper word limit, um, a sort of loose upper word word count. Okay. And so I didn't have any control of the subject matter. But that's one of the things As a as an editor, you're trying to curate the contents in a way that conversations will start to happen. Mm. And what's really lovely is when you see stories speaking to each other in the anthology, you know, you get all these connections and they, they augment each other. And some of the stories came in and we had sort of a bit of back and forth editorial, you know, process. And others came in completely, fully formed, did need a word changed. Um, Sheila Purdy's was one of those. Claire Keegan got in touch with me and said, you should read this story for your anthology. And um, she knew I was looking for stories. And, you know, when Claire Keegan says that to you, <laughs> you, you rip open the envelope and get reading. And, that story just was perfectly realised.
0: Brilliant. Um, One of the ones I really loved is uh, Belinda McKeown's Privacy. It's just beautifully written and so engaging. It's
1: absolutely brilliant. I think Belinda is such an underrated writer. Um, And I thought her last novel, in particular, Tender, it was just such a searing novel. I was really keen. In fact, Belinda, there was a rule, a loose rule in, in the series of anthologies that you couldn't have the same writers in um, subsequent volumes ah, okay. that was sort of David Marks' rule to keep it fresh and I said to Faber I was breaking that rule because <laughs> Belinda had been in the last anthology and I really wanted her in, in this anthology
0: The Irish Times Women's Podcast is brought to you by Green and Black's Velvet Edition sumptuously smooth dark chocolate And Sinead Gleeson is having such an amazing moment at the moment with her yes. collection constellations and it's being yes. so widely acclaimed Her story is kind of bonkers, isn't it? Her story's
1: <laughs> brilliant. Her story, do you know what? She was writing her story around the time of the abortion referendum. Right. And I think you can feel that, that yeah. energy. You know, when I was, say
0: bonkers, I mean because it's magic realism, which is actually some, is, is that is that magic realism? God, uh, yes, out. it's
1: sort of surreal, isn't it? In, in Surrealism, story, maybe. <laughs> It's a woman start giving birth to letters of the alphabet. Yes. Um, rather than, rather than, Baby,
0: yeah, I know human it's, babies. It's, it's so interesting, but there's a lot of that in it. There's a lot of unexpected, surprising kind of mm-hmm. themes as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and and the, and the stories are just they're, they're just not you just don't know what you will expect. And with collections like this, it's a brilliant thing just to pick up and flick through and find start reading and not really knowing what to expect at all, you know. Yes,
1: and I think if you think of what we might think of as a traditional Irish short story, you know, it might be rural. Um, there's probably rain, there's probably at the least, <laughs> <laughs> uh, there isn't, there isn't much, I mean, there are some really fine, fine stories by some writers who are, you know, truly the inheritors of McGarren, Foylon, and, um, but there's a lot of other stuff going on as well, yeah. which makes you, it exciting.
0: You've um, done quite an achievement because it's two-thirds women writers in this and it's a third of writers from Northern Ireland. Yes. Which is a, quite an achievement and very different to a lot of what a lot of anthologies would be.
1: Yes, I have so many on my bookshelf. <laughs> you know, all those mid-century, there's Irish writers and there'll be you know three or four women. Yeah. Always, always the same woman. Um, it was funny, when I... Bef- before i was asked to edit this anthology i'd always idly thought if i did an anthology it would be irish woman um or it would be northern woman. um but you know Sinead's landmark she's, she's, she's done that, her, her, that out. <laughs> yeah well she did the long gaze back and it's funny and then my the anthology was isn't it yeah yes they come from each other cuz Sinead had done the long gaze back and i had a story in that and we were doing an event at the lyric in belfast and there were four northerners um and we were all in the panel together and we were saying this never happens and you know being all together and we were saying there needs to be an anthology of northern women and and Sinead had said well maybe she wasn't the right person and she was southern and and we just, and i <laughs> i had several long conversations with Sinead where um, you know i bent her ear and 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 she she did a, a beautiful sister anthology and um, the glass shore and i think those two anthologies are important the female lines Um, Don, Sharpedo and Linda Anderson's reissue of the Ruth Hooley, um, the female line, um, which was published 30 years ago. Those are both important. Um, And so, you know, anthologies, the lovely thing about an anthology is that they speak to other anthologies in the series and they speak to other anthologies that come out around the same time. You know, Sinead's two are definitely guiding spirit.
0: And one of the stories uh, the story you wrote for, for one of Sinead's anthologies was about abortion in Northern Ireland Yes, And And right. um, obviously we repealed the 8th year which is wonderful yeah. and we're coming up to the anniversary soon of that uh, but still a long way to go in Northern Ireland. Uh, it's uh, it, You you grew up there so yes. it's obviously close to your yes, heart Yes,
1: when um, I, I had convinced Sinead you know, you have to do this anthology, you have to do this anthology of Northern women writers and then of course she said, well Kate, okay, write me a story. And I <laughs> thought um at the time, I thought, and this is back, you know, 20, what, 2015, yeah. I think, 2016, and she said, and when I was thinking, if I'm writing a story about contemporary Northern Ireland, what do I want it to be? And, you know, I think all writing is a political act. There are some places in the world where it's m- more a political act than others, you know, places where you can, I, I was talking to Elif Shafak recently, yeah. you know, and Turkey is a place where you can just be hauled from your newspaper office or from your study and, and thrown into jail for what you write. So writing is a much more political act in a place like that. But it felt, <clears throat> it felt like writing about abortion at that time, this is before the Irish referendum had, had been announced, it felt um, that was the story that I wanted to write to say something about Northern Irish society. And so in the story, the story itself is quite a quiet story. It's a young teenage girl who has ordered abortion pills. She's a university student and she's accidentally pregnant, not with the the partner. Um, The the, the baby's father is not her partner, I mean to say. And so she's ordered the pills online and she knows she is too scared to tell any of her flatmates because she knows that legally, if any of them helps her, they can be thrown in jail for um, under the... Eighteen sixty-one, You know, the legislation that's still in place in Northern Ireland was was there before Thomas Edison invented the electric light bulb. You know, that's how antiquated... Yeah. Like, things like that put, put it in perspective. Yeah. So she, the girl in my story, has a very supportive mother. Um, her mother has raised her and her sisters to be feminist, to have, you know, to know that the mother would always help them, but still she feels that she can't ask her mother's help. So the story just follows these 24 hours in her life between taking the first set of pills off the internet and the second set of pills. Okay. And so it's it's quite an interior, quiet story, but all of the politics is... That you know, I don't need to write that large.
0: I had Jan yeah. Car- Carson in here uh, recently about to talk about her brilliant novel, uh, The Fire Starters. Yeah, it's brilliant, it's so good. I love that. But novel. it was really interesting talking to her about Northern Ireland, and you know, I, I just feel uh, it's so sad, really, what's happening in Northern Ireland, and the fact that yeah, we talked about the Good Friday Agreement there, and mm-hmm. was so wonderful, but <clears> the promise of that. You know, there's a sort of stagnation of of it as a place, and I mean, you know, it seems hijacked by a small amount of people who just can't seem to move forward. You know, H- how do you feel about it yourself? You live in London now, so is it is it interesting looking from a bit of a distance?
1: Yeah, my husband's a Londoner, um, <clears throat> although my parents are still in the same house that oh, right. I've lived in since I was eleven, <laughs> so I'm back and forth a lot. God. I think the thing that isn't talked about enough is the socioeconomic factors at play. You know. So many parts of Northern Ireland are among the absolute poorest in the UK. Um, no, there's been no investment in dairy. Uh, you know, the, there are estates in Belfast, which are third, fourth generation unemployment. And so now there's a whole generation who's grown up who haven't known that feeling of the troubles where people, the the, the, the the carnage of it, the loss of it, the fear of it, the you know. And so for a lot of people who haven't had much invested in them, you can understand how a return to the myths and the community narratives that give you a sense of purpose, that give you, you know, you can see how those can become seductive. And I think that there's been, even, you know, arts funding in Northern Ireland is a tiny fraction of what it is per capita in England, in Scotland, in Wales, in, in the Republic. So just that level of 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 social deprivation I think is a is is a really important factor. Mm. Um what about
0: you now in terms of your writing? What are you doing and what's your next project?
1: I'm working on another collection of short stories myself. It took me um a decade to write the stories in Multitudes, yeah. my first collection. Partly to have enough of the technique or craft to pull stories off, but also I think to have the, the, the confidence that the stories I had to tell about Belfast were worth telling. You know, the stories of Multitudes are all the stories narrated by girls and young women. They all take place sort of during the 90s, during the early noughties. Um, but they don't present a Belfast It would be the Belfast, that you might think of, you know, when you think of the images of that time. So it took me a long time to think that those stories were worth telling. And since writing them, I've I've loved writing more and more of the short story form. So yeah, another another collection. And
0: will this collection be mostly set in the north as well, or are you?
1: It's back and forth. It's it's updated a bit. I think the um, Kevin Barry he says, you know, once you've lived, you need to have lived in a place for about ten years, I think, eleven years or something, before you can start writing. Right. It in. And so I've noticed that the narrators in my stories, there's a lot more back and forth. You know, there, some of them are, are like make the stories are more about motherhood and more about being between places and more Northern Ireland from a distance. Some of them are set entirely in, in Belfast.
0: Um, do you like London life? Because some people find it quite busy, intense and difficult, but you're obviously settled there quite well.
1: <laughs> yeah, I seem to be. You know, I went there for my master's, never not particularly intending to stay, um, but my husband's a Londoner, and his—he's um, an architect. His—he's he's got his own practice, which is based in London. And um, I have two Cockney-born children. <laughs> you know, that go to school on Brick Lane and, oh, and wow. celebrate Eid and sing Bengali <laughs> nursery rhymes. And I love that aspect of London.
0: Yeah.
1: You know, and um, I love—I find a very—I've—I've I've always found a very very difficult feeling, so torn between. Belfast and London. London is one of the places in the UK where you can live and you don't feel English, you know. Um, London, for good and for bad, is, um, feels kind of separate, um, feels like its own thing and so I've felt a freedom to write, I think, in London that I might not have felt in other places and it's funny, I the stories of multitudes... In a funny way, I don't think I could have written them if I was back living in Belfast. Because, you know, we constantly talk, should we move back there? And my parents are there and there is so much going for it. Um, But somehow Belfast was so perfectly preserved in my mind, it would have been overwritten. Yeah. You
0: know, if if I'm, I'm thinking of Milkman as well um, you know yes, in terms of a masterpiece right yeah. yeah absolutely, oh, absolutely. And, and again we talk about writing from the north a sort of really mm-hmm. new departure mm-hmm. fresh new voices yes. coming out and, being, yes. and
1: there's Paul McRae from the Old yeah. as well yeah. um, and there are, yeah, there are so many other writers coming and I think through.
0: it's helping us to see Northern Ireland in a much more uh, authentic way and not mm-hmm. the kind of ideas of Northern Ireland that we have mm-hmm. just a real um,
1: well Jan is very interesting yeah. <clears throat> Jan Carson is because She talks about how, you know, she grew up um, like sixth, seventh generation um, Presbyterian and uh, creating things is seen as, you know, devil's work, seen as suspect. (laughs) And so something, what's interesting is you think we don't get, say, the DUP represented in contemporary literature, art. So we lack that way of of getting in and understanding. And the more, yeah, it's back to multiplicity again, you know, the more overlapping, contradictory um, voices that you have from a place the better, the more realistic your picture of it becomes.
0: Brilliant. well, I would really recommend everyone to pick up being various. It has so many surprising um, stories in it, really beautifully written stories, but also provocative and challenging in some cases and it's just a great, great collection. so well done because I'm sure it wasn't easy and I'm sure it was difficult having to leave some out and you know it that was kind of so thing d- oh my <laughs> did you, you know, worry were, that you would be like a hate figure it's, oh, of some it's kind. just
1: it's just so hard, and there are writers that I just wish were in there um so many of them. Jean Caldwell. Yeah. Yeah. My real regret is I didn't have a story by, by her and that. And I, I, I mean, I'm not going to start you're, naming them. You've got, them got because the same
0: name. You should have you know, the made same. sure. No, I, know,
1: them. I know, I but, know. But, you know, she's doing really interesting things. With yeah. fiction. And if, I, if I start talking about no, all the can't. other I'll, I'll start <laughs> understanding. But them I mean, Jean. I suppose, I
0: mean, it's, it's a chunky enough book anyway. You've 24 in here. You just, you yes. can only fit so many in. It's yes. difficult. But and I think you've done, done very well. And initially, Faber had told
1: me 20. And I kept saying, but I need this writer, I need this (laughs) writer, I need this writer. Um, I was most happy to have in the anthology, you know, so much of the the sense of Irish identity has been based on um, emigration. So I was really, really keenest to have voices by new Irish writers who've come to Ireland from other places. So I've got a beautiful story by Malatu Che Corrie, who came to Ireland um, almost a decade ago as an asylum seeker. And she and she's written her, her slim collection this hostile life is published it's virago have taken that up yeah. um, and she wrote me such a subtle and beautiful story about um, a refugee an asylum seeker who it's not articulated in the story because it's not articulated fully in his mind but he's questioning his sexuality he's in Ireland and he's he's never had a the possibility of doing that before so he's mm. online dating the story is called brown lady one two three four five mm. another beautiful story is by the chinese-born writer yenge who is married to an, a man from mayo <laughs> um, raising her son in dublin and she said the first book that she read when she came to live in ireland was kevin barry's town and country and so i have a brilliant brilliant story from her she's only just started to write in english and so I was really happy her story opens the anthology yeah. actually and I think it takes um the contemporary short story and sort of turns it on its head, all these questions of of what makes a good short story and questions of belonging and it's a it's a brilliant Story,
0: fantastic. I mean, I you just described really well there the different voices and the surprising voices, and, and I think that's the success of the collection. So well done, and thanks very much for coming in. Thank and you when you finish me. your next collection, you can come in and talk about that.
1: I look forward. <laughs> do you know? I look forward <laughs> Will so, it be so ten much to being. Yeah. <laughs> uh, hopefully not. Maybe it'll be a bit shorter than that. I've got. I'm almost there, almost there.
0: Brilliant. Well, Lucy Caldwell, thank you very much. Thank you. And that's it for today. Thank you very much to Lucy Caldwell for speaking to me and a reminder that Being Various is available in all good bookshops. Remember, you can subscribe to us wherever you listen to your podcasts. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and all of the very good podcasts podcast apps. If you want to get in touch with us, we're on Twitter and Facebook at IT Women's Podcast, or you can email us on Podcast at irishtimes.com. And we do enjoy a bit of praise from time to time. So if you like what we do, go along to iTunes and give us a review. The podcast is produced by myself, Roisin Ingle, and by Jennifer Ryan with JJ Vernon on sound. Until next time, thank you very much for listening.